Hi, Matt here. We'd like to ask for your help. One of our big goals for this year is to bring Think Fast, Talk Smart to more and more people around the globe. Please help us by sharing Think Fast, Talk Smart with your friends, coworkers, and family. Also, be sure to rate and follow us. Finally, join our Think Fast, Talk Smart communities on LinkedIn and Instagram. Thanks for your help. Okay, let's be honest here. How do you feel? I mean, really feel. When a meeting on your calendar gets canceled, might you sport a big smile? Give yourself an air high five? If you're like most of us, reclaiming some free time at work brings a sense of joy and relief. Yet we all know that most of the work we do requires and benefits from coordinating and collaborating with others. How can we maximize the benefits of working with others while avoiding the friction and challenges that often come along for the ride? Welcome to Think Fast, Talk Smart, the podcast. Today I am super excited to be joined by Bob Sutton, who is both a professor of management science and engineering at the Stanford School of Engineering, as well as a professor by courtesy of organizational behavior at the GSB. His research and practice focus on how to improve the way we work. He is the author of many books, including Scaling Up Excellence, Getting to More Without Settling for Less, and The No Asshole Rule. Welcome, Bob. It's great to be here. You know, we're recording this at a safe social distance, so I know you can't see the smile on my face, but for a while now, I have been so eager to chat with you on the podcast because I've really enjoyed our previous conversations. Me too. They've been fun. Let's jump right in. In your work and collaborations, you refer to friction. What do you mean by this, and how does communication or the lack of it contribute to friction? Boy, well, that's quite a question. So the friction stuff, essentially, my buddy, co-author, Huggy Rao, and I, we just got interested in the notion that so many of the organizations that we know that we work with would essentially make the right things too hard to do and the wrong things too easy. Oh, no. So so, so that's, and, you know, the classic thing, I, and many, I'm sure your listeners can relate, I don't really understand why some organizations I know very well uh, make it so hard for me to get uh, $25 reimbursed that I don't even bother. I just pay for it myself, just at sort of at the most basic level. And to, to things like uh, for us as customers, when we have a journey through an organization, it's much more difficult than it need to be. For communication, uh, to me, a lot of what um, a leader's job is, is to be clear about where people should focus attention and where they should um, not focus attention. And and just somebody who comes to mind immediately, one of the most effective CEOs at one point I knew well uh, was A.G. Lathley, who was twice uh, CEO of Procter & Gamble. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing he realized is there'd be a lot less confusion about where people needed to focus their attention. If it's, As he said, I did two things. I kept things Sesame Street simple, and I said it over and over and over again until it was done. And so to me, that that's part of the friction um, challenge for a senior executive is to get people to understand where they should focus their attention um, and what should not focus attention and what they should do now and what they should do later or not at all. 
So that's just one example of, of how communication would get you to um, friction. I see. So it's all about keeping it clear, keeping it concise and simple, and just repetition. So collaborating, connecting, and coordinating with others is absolutely essential at work. Yet working with others, our peers, our bosses, our subordinates, can be so draining and frustrating. How can we maximize the benefits of working with others while avoiding some of the downsides? Two things when I think of collaboration problems, two things come to mind that that I think that people really need to focus on. One, Jess, is is the notion that that in your team, look at the notion that um, there are often people who are just on the sidelines and are never asked to be involved, um, sort of who are ostracized or not viewed as relevant. And then there are people who suffer from collaboration overload. There's all sorts of evidence, including from my uh, researcher named Rob Cross um, on the East Coast, that essentially you've got three to five percent of the people will do 35 percent of the work on many teams. Oh, wow. And, and those beleaguered people, if you are one well please see if you can get people to help you and if you're if, if you're thinking of that person in your group who you always ask every question of maybe you should try to help them more and 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 those people are essential they get beleaguered they get burned out they quit they get cynical so that's the first one is to, is to sort of look at the at the uneven distribution of who does what the second thing and if you look at those of us who study organizational systems and and I know you do as, as well, Matt, mm-hmm. is I'd look for any place where there's handoffs. Because when there's handoffs between people, between silos, those are the places where the conflict, where the misunderstanding happens. And, and as a leader, what your job is, is to have everybody, for example, in every silo and in every shift, understand what it feels like to be the giver and the receiver in the handoff situation. Um, so, so I guess that handoffs and collaboration overload is where I'd start, but uh, we're not going to resolve this in this brief podcast, unfortunately. Right. You know, uh, thinking about where those transitions are is critical. We have on this podcast talked a lot about transitions, transitions within an individual communication from point to point, transition between individuals in the communication interaction. And what you've added to this now, Bob, is this notion of transition between organizational and function. You really have to think about what is it I'm passing off? How do I do that in a way that's clear and concise? How do I make sure that that information was received? It's really, really critical. And and I appreciate that. And, And also having the awareness of where all of the action and work is being done also helps. Uh, so I, I think that's 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 great. Um, clearly, work has changed dramatically due to COVID-19. What are you seeing as some of the biggest challenges and how can business leaders address them? One of the things that's really striking me with it, as so many of us have switched to work from home is, is that um, we're starting to realize that uh, we're more complete people. We are bringing, literally, we are bringing a more complete version of ourselves to work. So that's both a challenge for the more pressure that people have when, when they're in a situation where it's hard for them to work. And it's also an opportunity for us to design our organizations for people who have complete lives. So that's one thing that really does strike me in terms of organizational design. So that's sort of a good thing. Then there's sort of a bad thing, and it's interesting. We were uh, talking about collaboration overload a little bit before. Yes. One thing that, that that I'm seeing, and there's a number of uh, organizations I'm working with, and I think I'm, I may even be seeing this at Stanford too, is is that um, in general, 
um, what happens is is that um, a lot of the companies I know are moving really fast. A number of the technology companies I'm working with are moving really fast. And part of it is because with the, the online stuff, uh, there's not the opportunity for the informal gossip, um, for uh, people to get together after work to bump into each other. So you're ending up with a small group of decision makers moving really quickly who are not um, getting as much input from, from people who are kind of on the sidelines and not officially pulled into the conversation. That so sounds like a recipe for disaster. Yes, it's, it's kind of a recipe for it to move really fast and to, and to kind of have, uh, if you will, um, organizational debt where you think everybody's on board because the same seven people you talk to in a Zoom call every day all agree, but there isn't even um, hardly any communication with anybody else at all. And I'm seeing this in Fortune 10 companies. Uh, and, and it's really cool how fast they're moving now. And, and the smart CEOs are worried that the chickens are going to come home to roost. Uh, I want to turn our attention to meetings, and, and you and I have had some interactions about meetings yeah. before. You know, one way we co coordinate our work is through meetings, and most people report that most of their meetings are not very useful or productive. Uh, you and I spent some time a while yeah, ago yeah. discussing yeah. how we can improve meetings. Do you want to share some of those thoughts that we discussed? Oh, uh, well, there's there's lots of different um, thoughts. One is the first thing I look for in addition to the usual sort of size of meetings and uh, and so on is that is that when you are a leader and you're in a meeting, there's three measures that we use. And in fact, uh, we, we use this in our classes. Even we did a class with startup CEOs and mm -hmm. we um, had our students analyze their wor worst meetings and help them improve them. And the three metrics that uh, that that uh, we tend to look for, this is Huggy Rao and me, is just pure talking time. So if we go to a CEO and he or she talks the whole time, that's a bad uh, sign. This, the second thing is we, we look at the proportion of statements they make versus the number of questions they ask. And, and if I was going to pick a model CEO, you know, back in the 90s, I used to go to a, a Monday morning meeting at IDEO, a famous innovation uh, firm that sure. was led led by David Kelly, who founded IDEO, founded the Stanford D School, astounding person. He's won every award there is just about. As an ethnographer, I'd go there. It'd be a one-hour meeting. David would talk six or seven minutes of that whole hour, and he, he started out with a self-deprecating joke, maybe tell a story. 60 people in the room, he would go around. He'd ask 25 or 30 of them um, questions. And so if you look at that criteria, it was he probably talked 12 minutes out of 60 and he probably would ask 30 questions and make 10 statements and then probably tell 15 jokes in response to uh, would people describe what they did over the weekend. So if you're a boss, shut up and ask more questions. <laughs> I actually recommend that people on their agendas or their meeting invitations, they actually send out questions to, to get it even started before you meet. So people come in ready to Ooh. engage and answer those questions. Uh, I love that. And, and one of the other things you and I talked about was this notion of psychological safety. I'm wondering if you can comment on that. So if people feel safe, they tend to feel better about contributing in meetings. Isn't that right? Yes. So so this comes from research, uh, Harvard Business School researcher named Amy Edmondson. She's been studying this for uh, 30 years. She's got a new book, The Fearless Organization. And, and essentially what Amy and now there was large scale surveys at uh, Google, too, that they found this was the hallmark of great teams was psychological safety. So if you have a situation where people are afraid to speak out, afraid to argue, um, then you end up having, uh, well, fewer voices involved 
and you end up having more mistakes made. And you also end up, um, people get alienated, they try less hard, and there's there's um, evidence even that when uh, people don't speak up, you end up with terrible fiascos like the space shuttles explodes, exploding, mm-hmm. um, more surgical errors, more drug treatment errors. So so as a leader, your job is to make it safe. And, and, one, and one, one thing that I always kind of like to say to bosses is, is kind of like, who annoys you the most on your team, okay? <laughs> And, and, and those people, the, the typical solution response is to kind of like uh, not listen to them, to shut them down. Well, if if the most annoying people might person might be the most useful person too. So that's one way to to uh, sort of ask them about it. So how, how you handle your most annoying coworker might be a sign of how much psychological safety there is. And and so what I'm really hearing you say, Bob, is that as somebody who runs meetings, you really need uh, to spend time not just focusing on the content and the specific agenda, but also how people feel and show up. Yes. And that and a lot of people yes. don't. They're just so focused on the task and not on the actual socio-emotional well-being of the people involved. Yet that really matters. Yeah, and and, and one thing I would say to add to that is is you know one of my many mantras is silence is not golden. People who are silent, um, one of the advantage and there's all these disadvantages is online stuff. But in the Zoom stuff, when when you have that uh, layout where you can see everybody's faces, you actually see who is not talking, and. And one thing that I started doing with my classes, and it sounds like you have too, I just did it yesterday. There was three people who didn't say anything out of my 12 students. And so I took an extra five minutes and I called on each one of them. And I said, you haven't spoken. And each one of them really appreciated being called on. And they said something really smart and probably smarter than the rest of us because they'd actually been listening. And and so, so, so this notion of I think what good leaders do is that they they make it safe and encourage uh, people who talk less to sort of add something too. I love that, and I do spend a lot of time calling on people who are silent. And you're right; in the virtual world, you can see that more readily than than when we're in person. Speaking of this transition to remote work and remote communication, what best practices can you provide beyond the calling on the silent people? That help us not just survive, but thrive in our Zoom, Skype, Teams, Hangouts, WebEx menagerie. Well, I think we're all struggling in this uh, journey together. Uh, The the first thing that that I would start out with, and this is for those of us who are teachers, who are executives, and also just having control of our calendar, is that uh, that for emotional and uh, cognitive reasons, we've got to... um, Uh, pace ourselves and encourage people to pace one another so this means the meetings have to be shorter this means there has to be breaks um this means um and some of the folks at the design school are really cool about this consider doing 35 percent of your meetings audio only because you get emotionally exhausted by seeing people's face in front of you Uh, and and there's a bunch of evidence because what happens is is you're both um uh, more emotionally aware and you have thinner cues at the same time. So to me, there's a thing about the pacing. Oh, and the other thing, I'm learning this in my classes, and maybe I should learn this before, that um, anytime anybody talks more than six minutes, it's too long, or seven right. minutes. Right. So maybe I'm committing that sin right now. <laughs> no, I'm talking no. too much. But it, it is interesting because after just – it's. I think because we have more incomplete cues, that it starts sounding like more, 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 more. A few minutes earlier than in in live meetings. Yes. So I, those are some of the things that that come to mind. But a lot of it is just the, tending to the emotions and dealing with the fact that it's just more cognitively and emotionally exhausting. 
Yes, and, and just to echo a few things that you said, there, there's research that I'm aware of that says that after eight to 10 minutes, you really need to change something up just so people are reinvigorated. So it could be change a speaker, ask a question, show a video, just something to re-stimulate people. And with regard to looking at all the faces on the screen, not only is it demanding to look at everybody else's faces, but we also see ourselves more frequently and that self-awareness is draining too. And so one of the things that some of the research I'm aware of has suggested is at the beginning of meetings, show your uh -huh. image, make sure people are connected face to face. And then if you have slideware or demos, go to that, remove the faces and then come back to faces when you're actually doing interaction. So oh. you give yourself a break within the actual meeting and that that i think could be helpful too but that the psychological drain of just having to be on with less cues fewer cues is absolutely a, a true uh, challenge for people yeah now bob you've written many books and they are all incredibly insightful and helpful let's imagine you've been contracted to write the definitive rule book for effective teaming and work what would rule number one be in your new book well, I'll steal rule number one from my worst selling book, Weird Ideas That Work. Okay. Um, Weird Ideas That Work is about how to uh, create creative uh, teams and organizations. And the rule is find some happy people and get them to fight. What? So first of all, when you bring a team together, I'm not sure happiness is the right word, but you want trust, you want psychological safety. But there's all sorts of evidence that when people argue in an atmosphere of mutual trust, that they're more likely to bring different perspectives. They're more likely to develop the best ideas. And, and the person I think of here as sort of the hallmark or the star of this is Brad Bird, the Academy Award-winning director from, um, from Pixar, The Incredibles movies, for example. The way that Brad describes it, and we've seen him, we've got video of him. When you're on a team with Brad Bird, essentially you're involved in, if you will, loving conflict, as one member of his team put it, every day. And that's what you do. You, you do that because that's how you come up with the best solutions. And Brad will make a decision because he's got to make a movie, but you've got to have constructive conflict. And, uh, and so that, I guess that's sort of what I would say. Find some happy people and get them to fight. And also related to that, the best teams know when to fight, how to fight, and when it's time to stop fighting and implement the decision, even if you disagree with it. I love that your first rule is counterintuitive. Uh, you know, most of us just want happy people so we don't have conflict. But if, if people feel safe, if they feel supported in sharing their different viewpoints, I can totally see how you can get more creative, more diverse ideas and, and actions coming out of that. Thank you. Yep. So, Bob, before we end, I like to ask all guests the same three questions. So I'm hoping you're willing to answer my three questions. If sure. you were to capture the best communication advice you have ever received as a five to seven word presentation slide title, what would it be? Uh, how about uh, be confident but not really sure? And the, the reason <laughs> I say that, or, and this is other related sayings, this is from Research on Wisdom, uh, is have strong opinions weekly held. So I, I like people when they communicate when, and when they're leaders, um, and we're certainly seeing this in COVID, to express confidence about what they believe to be true right now and, it, and to uh, sort of inspire us all to action while at the same time to acknowledge to themselves and others that we don't know everything and they're always open to new input. 
So, so to me, I, I don't want I don't want a leader who's insecure about everything, and I don't want a leader who, if you will, has strong opinions, uh, strongly held, who won't update no matter what. So, either strong opinions, weakly held, or to be confident but not really sure. That's that I that's sort of what I would start with. Confidence with humility and being yes. open. Very cool. So you've mentioned a lot of leaders that you've worked with. I'm wondering, is there one particular communicator that's really impressed you and, and you admire and why is that? Right. So you asked me this question a little bit before and I've been fretting over it. The first person who came to mind was uh, President Obama. The second uh, was uh, Kara Swisher, the New York Times columnist, who is really entertaining. But the person I settled on actually is one of my my own bosses, which is sort of amazing, since if you ask my, <laughs> some of my bosses at Stanford, they'll tell you I don't admire them. But 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 in going through the COVID uh, crisis with my dean in the School of Engineering, Jennifer Widom, uh-huh. she has been so down to earth, so human, and, and and back to this confident but not really sure stuff. She's confident, she's empathetic, but at the same time, she will say to us, "Is we're in a changing situation. We don't know what's going to happen in the world." We, we don't know what's going to happen in the university, so let's do the best we can and move forward. So, so uh, and, and this is somebody, you know, I've had some kind of communications with every two weeks or so. So, so I actually am shockingly picking my own boss. I am shocked. I know Jennifer, and she's <laughs> wonderful. I'm just shocked that you picked your boss. Uh, that That's awesome. And Jennifer is great, and, and I've had an opportunity to see her work, and she is very empathetic uh-huh. and down-to-earth for sure. Yeah. So our last question of the three questions is what are the first three ingredients in your mind that go into a successful communication recipe? Well, I'll pick a kind of a COVID one, okay. which, which, is, which is that especially we're at a time when um, a lot of difficult decisions are being made and being implemented, not just layoffs as many people are doing, but, uh, but, but doing things like, uh, shutting down buildings, uh, opening and closing and stuff. And and one of the things that, and there's a bunch of research to support this, is, is that when you're leading people during difficult times, a lot of what your job is is, uh, is to give them as much predictability as you can give them, as much understanding, and as much control. And, and sort of the headline of that would be something like, there's a difference between what you do and how you do it. So let's just say that uh, you may have to lay off people or do pay cuts because of how difficult it is. But um, having them understand when it's going to be happening, um, having to, having to understand why it's occurring, and to understand what elements of control they have over the way the decision is implemented, to me, that's a hallmark of a good leader. So prediction, understanding, and control. Wow. Very helpful, and I can imagine that would lead to much more success, even if the messages and communications are challenging. Yep. Well, thank you, Bob. You certainly didn't disappoint. Uh, Your ideas for helping us work better, meet more effectively, and taking care of ourselves and others have been really insightful, useful, and quite frankly, a lot of fun. So thank you for your time, and I wish you well. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Think Fast, Talk Smart, the podcast. Produced by Stanford University's Graduate School of Business. For more information and episodes, visit gsb.stanford.edu or subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Matt here. For most of us, presenting confidently and clearly in our native language is hard enough, but communicating in another language is marked by unique challenges and opportunities for growth. 
I am super excited to share our new ELL English Language Learning webpage at fastersmarter.io slash ELL. This page is designed to help all non-native English speakers feel less anxious while being more authentic and successful in their communication. In addition to practical advice, you will find Think Fast, Talk Smart episode-specific ELL content, along with links to my favorite English language learning podcast playlist. Please check out fastersmarter.io slash ELL.